This is On The Radar, episode 112, coming at you always live in Chicago, and as always, we talk about the local and national sports and pop culture. Just so you know, it is the birthday edition of the podcast as I'm now turning 29. I'm getting close to the age of 30, and I'm recording my podcast on an iPhone in a live in my apartment. So that's at least an upgrade compared to where I was recording my podcast in previous years. But as always, we got to get to some unfortunate news. Rest in peace to Al Unser, the American automobile racing driver and the younger brother of fellow racing driver Jerry and Bobby and the father of Al Unser Jr. He was the second of four men to have won the Indianapolis 500 race four times, the fourth of five to have won the race a consecutive year and the national championship. He'll the Unser family have won the Indy 500 a record nine times. He's the only person to have both a sibling and a child win it as well. And he also has nephews who have competed in the race. And he passed away at the age of 82, so he's considered one of the greatest race car drivers of all time. He lived a pretty long life, so rest in peace to Al Unser. Someone who does not have lived a long life, it's a little bit tragic. He passed away at age 33. His wide receiver, Demaris Thomas of the Broncos, Texans, Patriots, and Jets. He last played in 2019. He won the Super Bowl with those Broncos teams that went to the Super Bowl twice, Peyton Manning. He was a four-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro second team, and he was a first-team All-ACC in college. He finished with 63 touchdowns, 9,700 9, 9, yards, and 724 receptions. He may not have been a Hall of Famer, but he was a pretty darn good wide receiver in the time that he played for the, for those Eight to ten years he played, he was one of the better receivers in football. He's one of my favorite wide receivers, one of my favorite fantasy football wide receivers. And it's very sad that he passed away at the age of 33, man. That is not... They said he's experiencing health problems following a car crash in 2019. And they said that the death was attributed to his medical issue. So rest in peace to Demarius Thomas. You will be missed. Rest in peace to a football player, Glenn Foster Jr., he was a defensive end. He also played for the, a fighting Illini. He passed away at age 31, another young play, man to die. He went to Mount Carmel, local school in Chicago. He went undrafted in 2013 and briefly played for the Saints. They're saying that he was he died after being put into custody by police in Alabama, and the, and the death is under investigation. So rest in peace to Glenn Foster Jr. Rest in peace to Jim Fergosi Jr., who was a special assistant to the Kansas City Royals front office and his son, a longtime major league manager and player, Jim Fergosi. He passed away at age of 57. Rest in peace to Jim Fergosi Jr. We also lost Roland Heeman, former White Sox general manager and Orioles general manager and worked for the Brewers in the 50s, worked for the Angels in the 60s, then he was he joined back with the White Sox to be an executive, and then his last time last team he worked with was the Diamondbacks in 2017. He won the World Series in 1957 when he was managing the Milwaukee Braves, not the Brewers, but the same Milwaukee Braves. He was a Sporting News Executive of the Year twice and the United Press International Executive of the Year in '83. He got the Buck O'Neill Lifetime Achievement Award and the Branch Rookie Award, awards for best GM. I know him being a Chicago White Sox fan and his work with the White Sox and him hiring Tony La Russa. And, yeah, he's just considered one of the greatest GMs of all time. So rest in peace to Roland Heeman. He lived a full life. He lived until he was 92. Rest in peace to former Major League Baseball player 
Chuck Dobson, formerly when he played for the Kansas City Oakland A's in the 60s and 70s, and finished his career with the Angels. He passed away at age of 77. He made his major league views and this uh, for the for the Kansas City A's 66. This marked the first time that a starting pitcher made his big league debut in the team's opener in a state which he was born. So the fact that he made his debut for his home team in in their home opener, but the fact that he was born in Kansas City, Missouri, and got to play in Kansas City for the Oakland A's, which is a pretty cool, impressive thing to say he got to do. Rest in peace to him. And then we lost Leonard Salovey, a six-decade career as a stage general manager producer, including 59 Broadway shows that won more than 40 Tony Awards. He was 93. Rest in peace. We also lost famous Mexican singer and actor and film producer Vicente, Vicente Fernandez. He was nicknamed Chante El Chante de Harta, El de Mexico, and El de Manzano. He, he started his career as a busker and went on to become a culture icon and recorded more than 50 albums contributing to more than 30 films. You know, one of the he won all these Grammys and Latin awards. It's just it's synonymous with mariachi bands and singing. He passed away at the age of 81. Rest in peace to him. We lost American author of gothic fiction, exotic erotic literature, and Christian literature as well. She's best known for her novels, The Vampire Chronicles. And the two adaptions, Interview with the Vampire Queen of the Dam, Anne Rice, passed away at age of 80. She lived a pretty long life, was an accomplished writer. So rest in peace to her. And we lost actress Kara Williams. She's best known for her role as Billy's mother in The Defiant Ones, where she was nominated for Academy Best Award for Sporting Actress and role as Gladys Porter on the 1960 series Peter and Gladys, where she was... Nominated for an Emmy for Best Lead Actress in a Comedy. She was considered, before she passed away, as one of the last surviving actors of the Golden Age of Hollywood. She passed away at age 96. The last movie she ever was in was in The One Man Jury in 1978. And she appeared, lastly, in a TV movie, Insecurity, in 1982. She had her own show, The Carol Williams Show. She was in Rhoda a bit, so there was a few, and in Alfred Hitchcock. So she did a lot of different things. She passed away. This week, we lost Steve Bronski. He was the co-founder of the British cinepop band Bernoski Beat, known for their hit song Small Town Boy. Uh, just rest in peace to him. He wasn't that old, so it's not, you know, the best. Then we lost Linda Wirthmuller, an Italian film director and screenwriter. She's best known for the 1970 art house film Seven Beauty. And she became the first female director to be nominated for Academy Award for Best Director, the section of my Mimi, Love and Archimi, and Swept Away. So now that she's one of the four recipients in 2019 for the Academy Honor Award for a career, the second female director to ever be honored. She passed away at age of 93. Rest in peace to her. We also lost Ronna Stubbins-White, a veteran television actor. She passed away at 60. She was, she was the on the days of our lives. Rest in peace to her. And the biggest loss, I know every loss is different. Some people got to live full lives, live till they're 80, 90, 100 years old. Some were cut short, like the mayor's Thomas and others who passed away in their 30s. But the biggest impactful death to me is Michael Nesmith. Mike Nesmith, everybody would know him as he was the guy with the winter cap, ski cap on in the TV show The Monkees. And he was the guitarist and the, the songwriter. He sang a lot of the songs he wrote. Some of them he had Mickey sing. And he was on the Monkees TV show, his monkey band. But he was a different person. He wasn't like Davey, who had success as an actor, and Mickey before this, and Peter just always went with the flow. 
he was one of these people who really took music seriously and songwriting, and he kind of didn't like the bubblegum pop music TV show thing. Yeah, he probably he enjoyed being on the monkeys and being part of the monkeys, but for him, he was always about, I want to be serious. So he, you know, he was the first one to push back with the monkeys, getting writers from outside. He wanted, I want to write songs. I don't care what they're about. So it was very important to him to write songs, to write, be a musician and be a writer than just be on a TV show and to be a band. He always wanted to be the guy playing the instrument. You know, he was a pretty funny, pretty funny in the show. And for someone growing up where, you know, the Beatles and the Beach Boys and Chicago are, were big, important bands and Motown as a child growing up, the Monkees were a huge thing. My mom pretended to be the Monkees with her friends and her siblings. I pretended to be the Monkee. I always pretended I was Mickey because I liked drummers and lead singer, and he was both. Davey was short, so people thought I would be him. Peter was the odd one, but he was a really talented musician. And Mike, though, was a, was a pretty good guitarist. And he wrote a lot of the songs. He also wrote the song Different Drum, which they, I, I, lucky enough this year, I got to see the Mickey and Mikey show, the Mick and Mike show, Mickey and Mike show this year. And they did the Different Drum song because it's a song he wrote. And they purposely were doing songs they wrote with the occasional, you know, tribute to Peter and a tribute to Davey. And he then decided that he used to become his own thing. He left the Monkees, and he was first with the Seminole Country Rock Group. So he's like a pioneer in the country rock music scene, being the first national band. He did Top 40 at Joanne, and then he was a solo artist. And because he had all this money, because his mother was the creator of Liquid Tape, he had all this money, because she told us to Gillette. And he had, because he had all this money, he can go and work on whatever music he wanted. He had all the tools, and he was like a pioneer making music videos. So he had the music video, pioneering country rock, writing songs for the other people, not just himself. He was an author. He produced variety TV shows as well. And he created the first television show that was just dedicated to these videos before VH1, before MTV. It was called Pop Clips, and it aired in Nickelodeon in 1980. He also helped create and produce a lot for MTV as well. He won the first Grammy for Video of the Year for his hour-long television show, Elephant Park. And he also was an executive producer of the movie Repo Man. So he's got all these things from the monkey you know, with all the songs he wrote and and his own solo career and his own country rock thing and doing music for music videos and TV shows and variety shows. And then he decided he was going to come back to the Monkees for the 20th anniversary, but then he didn't come back later. And here's the thing. Mickey and Davey continued. They wanted to tour Peter, but and they never really can get Mike to come back. And unfortunately, by the time that Mike joined up, we had lost Peter a few years ago after we lost Davey a while ago. And it was just, you know, really sad. Now, obviously, they, they, the agent goes, it was really helpful to happy for him to be on tour with Mike, with Mickey. And realize how much the fans like myself really appreciated Mike and his music and his contributions to the world. And how that when he was in isolation during the pandemic, it was not the best for him. And he thought maybe with his medical conditions, he probably should have seen doctors more. He believed that he never really should go to a doctor unless it's the last thing possible. Because he had heart surgery a couple of years back. But it was probably his heart that gave out. And it's just sad. I know he lived a full life. It's, and, but he passed away to 78. And he maybe had some regrets of not touring with the monkeys as much as possible, working with them and doing this other stuff, even though he did all these different things as well. He also formed the Pacific Arts Corporation as well. 
and that helped with people making, you know, movies and stuff as and documentary. He also produced Tapheads and and Time Rider: The Adventures of Lynn, of Lyle Swan as his own solo projects as well. He's he published a novel, The Long Sandy Hair of Nephilim Zamora. It was developed originally as an online project and later published as a book. And his second novel, The American Gene, and all these other things. And it's just, he was, in my opinion, one of the greatest con- contributors to the music history. And how he's not considered a, a Hall of Famer songwriter or a musician. Or the fact that the monkeys are not in the Hall of Fame. Now, obviously, people may just may have seen him last being in Portlandia in that thing and using a few other things, but it's just, I don't understand that, uh, how the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame cannot know that the monkeys are a huge part of rock and roll history and with Mike's contributions to songwriting and Mike's contribution to making music videos and all these other things, that's where, that's where you're just like, okay, and like just in general, monkey songs that Mike wrote that are, were amazing. You got you got Sweet Young Thing, The Girl I Knew Somewhere, You Just May Be the One, Papa Jean Blue. Then you have Listen to the Band, Circle Sky, While I Cry. There's a lot of a lot of amazing songs that he wrote, including Mary Mary. But everybody's gonna know that was Mickey singing that song. And it's just like he also had What Am I Doing Hanging Around. Like there's just a lot of amazing songs. That he sang on, and it's just like, are you kidding me? So, I just, I know it's going a little long on this, but I, it's really important because Michael Nesmith was a huge part of my growing up, and it's just gonna make me go back and listen to every single Monkey song, no matter if they're a big hit or not. Even look into his country rock and solo career, maybe watch some of the things he produced and read some of his books, because that's how much that he meant to me and a lot of people. Now let's get to some football. 49ers are, lo- um, excuse me, the Raiders are locking up their special teams players. Both their punter, A.J. Cole, and their kicker, Daniel Carson, have all agreed to four-year extensions. Chris Harris and Mike Williams were put on the COVID list, but then they were taken off, so that's good news for them. And Adam Thielen was out with an ankle injury, but Dalvin Cook was back for the, the Vikings, so it's a win-loss win, win there. 49ers have picked up Brian Hill. Mark Ingram went on the COVID list. Credit to Hugh Jackson. He's going to be the head coach of Grambling State. Unfortunate news for the Packers. Alex Cobb, I mean, Randall Cobb, excuse me. Baseball is always on my brain. Alex Cobb, Alex Cobb is the baseball pitcher. Randall Cobb is core muscle surgery, and he's out for the year. And there's a lot of players like Anthony Walker, Jamie Gillian going to COVID, Jamal Williams with the COVID, but Mike McCarthy's back from his COVID stint. Dallas loses Noah Brown to injured reserve. Ty Montgomery is COVID-19. Zach Cunningham, one of the leading tacklers in football. The Texans just gave him up, and the Titans picked him up on waiver. Chase Edmonds is able to come back for the Cardinals. He wasn't activated Monday night, but that's good for another dimension for them. Big Ben now is the 50 most passing yards, passing, you know, Phillip Rivers. Dustin Colquitt has joined the Browns as a punter, and TJ Watt has been out with a groin injury. The Browns have so many players going on COVID, that's why they picked Dustin Colquitt. David Mills has been announced as QB1 for the rest of the season. Hey, he's a third-round pick. The Texans are a horrible team. They may have a few talented players on, you know, here and here and there, but it's a mess. They have a new head coach, so they're just trying everything this year, and they're just going to see where it goes, you know. AP missed the last game due to a back issue. Kenny Stills, after we told you last week he got cut, 
he got re-signed. Elijah Mitchell's in concussion, and uh, Alvin Kamara's back, but the the Dolphins have a COVID cluster running back. Miles Gaskin, the Savion Med, Philip Lindsay. Richard Sherman's though is back for the Buccaneers. Their secondary needs to help. Darren Waller's still out. Mon- and uh, David Montgomery and Al Robinson were back for the Bears. And the um, Michael Strahan became the first football player to go into space. It was a cool, interesting thing. If this was the Dan Levitar show, it was too got. They would go be talking about this for a long time. Daryl Henderson announced he's on the COVID list. And uh, Elijah Moore is, is in, put on the injured reserve list. And um, C.J. Gardner, John Scav Jacobs, all of them are back. Cowboys decided to, this again, another thing that Dan left our show was to got to make fun of. They brought their own bench to the last game because they felt the last bench was not good. Bryce Callahan's back. Mako Rose gone to the COVID list. Lions have two cornerbacks, both going to the COVID list. Julio Jones is back. And, um... As I mentioned, Jacob Phillips is back, and there's Gardner, there's Gardner, John Slob is back as well, and uh, Devontae Arsenal's back, and then Andrew Withert became the oldest left tackle in NFL history when he turned 40, 40 this past week. Usually the players that play until they're 40 are quarterbacks. The occasional running back, wide receiver, or a tight end. The occasional defensive player or special teams player, so it's a pretty cool accomplishment as well. David Johnson will announce he's got COVID. Tony Pollard's been out with a foot injury. Derwin James with a hamstring injury. Cam Newton's been benched. So that little experiment's not gone that well. J.D. McKissick is out with a concussion. And Derrick Henry could potentially come back at the end of the season and the beginning of the playoffs. Which is bad for someone like me who cut him as soon as he was out, announced for out for the year. And some jerk picked him up fantasy football. So, yes. And uh, right tackle Robin Hansen and Dante Pearson all gone to COVID. McLaren got COVID. Jerry Jacobs has the ACL. He's out for the year. And um, Lamar Jackson hurt his ankle and was carted off, but they said there's a chance he can play. Eric Harris, he's out for the year. DeAndre Houston Carter's a fractured arm. He's out for the year. Yeah, Eric Harris has a torn pectoral muscle. Giovanni Bernard has an MCL sprain. He's out for the year. Jets and Lions both were officially eliminated. Well, we saw that coming. Jalen Rams and Tyler Higby got COVID lists, got placed on the COVID list. Tom Brady announced the most completions ever in NFL history. That was bound to happen to break all his records. Josh Allen has a foot strain, so that may hamper him. Tony Jefferson has gone back to the Ravens. Kadarius Tony's been placed on the COVID list. Josh Gordon's also on the COVID list. Wayne Gallman's now a Viking, for those who are keeping track. Jameel Douglas now in Washington. Rashawn Slater's gone to COVID. Tyron Smith, ankle. So he's out. Javon Howard, COVID list. Jonathan Allen, COVID. Kendall Fuller and Tim Settle, COVID. Keenan Allen, who was on the COVID list, is now back. Ryan Kelly's now back from the COVID list. Chris Jones also has gone on the COVID list. Jarvis Landry, Wyatt Teller, Austin Hooper, five other Browns players, Odell Beckham, and the Rams, because of all these COVID out, uh, t- positive tests, they've closed their facility as well. And in a two-day period, 75 players have tested positive for COVID-19, which is just like... Wow, how this like cluster is actually really, really happening right now. It makes it's just a lot to go on because it's just like, oh my god, how are all these guys all getting the uh, 
getting pos uh, testing positive for this it's just like wow and I, I there's just a lot going on there so I just want to confirm Elijah Mitchell the running back has a concussion Elijah Moore the wide receiver is on injured reserve just so we're clear USA women's basketball has announced that Cheryl Reed the head coach of the Minneapolis team is going to be the head coach of the of the Olympics that's good for her Evan Mobley came the first rookie to average five blocks per game since LeBron. That's pretty impressive. And you're invoking LeBron in the Cleveland Cavaliers history. And Stanley Johnson and Alonzo McKinney joined the Bulls. Stanley Johnson was in camp with them. So I, was, I was upset when they cut him. I didn't think that he should have been cut. Dick Vitale has got medical clearance, which is really good news. Unfortunate news, Solomon Hill is out for the year with a hamstring tear. And uh, 100 career triple-doubles. For LeBron James, so again, he's, he's continuing to climb up the boards of everything. Giannis has the most blocks in Bucks history, which makes sense. He's played it long enough. And another announcement of USA Basketball, Steve Kerr is replacing his former head coach, Greg Popovich, as the thing. It was very short that Greg Popovich, because Mike Krzyzewski was the head coach for USA Basketball for years. But Grant Hill is now in charge, and I think Greg Popovich is probably done with doing that, and that's interesting. Kyle Kuzma was fined 15 k for throwing the middle finger, which, again, something that Dan Lechos too got would love to talk about. And unfortunately, it's Kyle, uh, Jeremy Grant. He's going to be out for a while. The torn ligament is his thumb. And uh, Kuzma also has been put in the COVID protocols. Zion Williams had a setback, so that's not good. I don't know if he's ever going to play this year. And, uh, you know, Isaiah Thomas was... Entered in this G League showcase, and he's going to play for the G League Nuggets team, which is great for him. Kira Luz Jr.'s torn ACL. He's out for the year. That's not good, but good news is Van Fleet of the Raptors and University of Toronto is giving scholarships to black or indigenous people. And LeBron James and Sabonis won Players of the Week. And Steph Curry, as I may have mentioned weeks ago, was an all-time three-point leader. That was a mistake that he had the most, including playoffs, but now he has the most ever, the most in regular season. So congratulations to him there. And uh, a troubling issue with the Nets only having eight players suit up because they had a little bit of a COVID outbreak with Harden and other guys testing positive for that. Well, the Bulls, first Vukovic was on the COVID list early in the year. But then Javante Green, Patrick Williams is out for the year. So Javante Green with Derek Jones Jr. They just picked up Stanley Johnson. He has it. Then you go both Io and Kobe White have it. And then you were like, well, Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan have it. And Elise Johnson have it. And uh, because of that, the Bulls had to, cancel the, had to cancel Tuesday night's game and tomorrow's game because they have officially in have 10 guys on the list. And that's not enough for them to play a game. Stacey King and Bill Wennington, the two color commentators, part of – the former Bulls championship team all have it. So for them, and Matt Thomas, and the role player on their team, so they got all those guys with COVID-19, which is great. And I'm thinking if they do play the games, will Purdue or Kendall Gill be asked to call games on TV or radio, or will Horace Grant, Joakim Noah, anybody who works for the Bulls maybe do? Because that'd be cool to see. Interesting story that the Dan Levitard show would talk about is that the Arizona Coyotes have been locked out of their arena because this is the last year of their deal. And um, basically, there's the, the arena saying you owe us money for this, this, and that, and we don't want you to come back in until you pay it. So a hockey team can view that a home, be, 
even if it's in the final year of his contract because they owe money. That's an interesting thing. Jim Rutherford has become the Canucks president. Blackhawks traded Chad Christ to get themselves Curtis Gabriel. Small trade there. Hawks game this week against the Calgary Flame was postponed due to a COVID outbreak with the Calgary Flame, which is interesting. Marc-Andre Fleury now has 500 career wins, only behind Patrick Waugh and my favorite player of all time, Martin Verdor, cementing his status in the Hall of Fame. The U.S. Gymnastics and Olympic Committee is going to pay lots of money in the settlement for all the Nassib people, Larry Nassib people who were abused by him. They're getting the money that it well-deserved, all the crap they went to. ESPN could be dropped by YouTube TV for people who use YouTube TV, so be careful. Natasha Foy says she's stepping away next year from sideline reporting. Hope everything's okay with her. Chris Fowler, I mean, Herb Street and Fowler, you know, the ones that do, they do all these, Chris Fowler, they do all these games for ESPN. And I don't know if they're doing it remotely or not, but they're calling the Orange Bowl, the Rose Bowl. They're doing a Monday football game, and they're doing the National College Football Championship game. I think that's a little bit too much. You guys should probably have other people. You have enough people that work probably at ESPN that you can do that. Now, in baseball, I talked about on my baseball video pretty much all the moves because all that's been happening is minor league deals and players going overseas. So, Puig went over to Korea, which I think is interesting because if Puig has a decent enough season, maybe he can come back and he's not that old. Clint Hurdle's gone back to working for the Rockies, so that's cool. He's going to be in the front office. Jason McLeod, formerly of the Cubs, working at the D-backs. Maybe we can turn that around. And Chris Gargola, you know, his father, who, who was a longtime broadcaster for the Dimebacks and all these other, and played baseball. He's going back. He's working for the Dimebacks broadcaster, so they're keeping that in the family. And Conger's now a first-base coach, catching coordinator for the Twins. It's cool to see him coaching and getting what he is. And... Ben Roden retires, and he's working for the Angels front office. And Ben Roden is a, wasn't a that long of a Major League Baseball pitcher, but it's cool that that he can go and around he can go and play. He can go and uh, go work for the organization, and then and then uh, Andrew Romine retired, and Andrew Romine could say this. I got to, I got to play in one single game, all the outfield spots and all the infield spots, because he was a shortstop, who obviously is a shortstop. He played second base and third base, and they threw him in the outfield because of his super utility and the occasional first baseman. And at the same time, also, he got to play with his brother this year because the Cubs had Austin and Andrew on their team, and I thought that was pretty cool because. That was uh, something you could probably never do. And in that game that he played every single game, every single position, he also suit up and played catcher, and he threw. Because obviously, when... That's the thing. So Rowden is going to be an advanced scouting position. But with Romine, it's cool that for a, guy, for a guy who got to play every single game, every single position in one game, and log a bunch of innings at every position, including catcher and pitcher, and then you get to play with your brother... That's pretty cool. He's a former Angel, Tiger, Mariner, Cub, and Ranger. So this, those remember. So that's not bad for your career if you're able to do that. And then D. Gordon's with the Nationals. So that's interesting to see if he's going to make a major league roster. Because this year he didn't play in the major league. Mike Schilt, who did a great job with the Cardinals and still got fired, is going to be working in the commissioner's office, which is really cool. And Johnny Washington is joining the Cubs staff. Andy Gonzalez, former White Sox player, is joining the Rockies staff amongst the new Rockies coaches. And 
the same manager who's been, they say, working a long time with the Kansas City Star is now joining the Kansas City Royals, which I think is pretty cool. And ESPN Plus is now going to do PGA Tours, the TD Tour Live, which is cool. Amanda Amelia Sternberg is going to be in this Disney Plus Star Wars show, a.k.a. Koyoi, so that's going to be interesting. They're making more Star Wars shows now they got Disney shows on Disney Plus. The Thousand Show for James Corden, congratulations to him. And Bialik and Ken Jennings are going to be hosting the rest of Jeopardy the rest of the year, which makes sense. Cowboy Bebop on Netflix was canceled after one year. Levelish Redemption was renewed for season two on IMB TV. This Chippendales type of thing is going to have Dev Patel, Seth Rogen, Ellie Fanning. I don't know if it's due with like this, the restaurant or what it is. Ben Affleck's Deep Water movie is, was taken off the movie release list, and now it's going to be streaming for those who watch that. Six Feet Under, HBO is trying to get a revival of that. Chill Sign and a bunch of other fighters are going to be in this Mojave Diamonds thing, which is interesting. And Florence Pugh and Rami Malek are going to be in this Oppenheimer. So that's cool to see those two pretty talented actors get to be in something as well. John Cho and Christina Baranski, among others, are going to be this animated thing called Praise Petey. So that's interesting. And Venom 3 is announced that they're going to start doing that. So that is... Look, I just saw the second one this past week. It was really good that they're keeping what it's going there. And then... This Chillin' Island HBO reality nature series is coming, so that's interesting. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame announced that their ceremony is going to move to L.A. next year, which I don't understand. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is in Cleveland. Chris Wallace is leaving his show and going to do streaming, so I guess that's the next step for people. Snoop Dogg and 50 Cent want to make that the murder was case hip-hop series. That's interesting. Dr. Raza's show is ending, and he's having some spinner called Good Dish. I don't get it. Is he going to do gossip? I don't know. Is he not going to do doctor? Prayers out to Sherry Shepard who had emergency surgery as she's been hosting for Wendy Williams. And Michael Rappaport, one of my favorite comedians, he is actually going to be hosting a Wendy Williams show. That is that is actually very interesting there. David Arquette and Scott Foley are going to be in the story life of this A.J. Ferky. That's interesting because I do like Scott Foley in the current show, so I don't know if he's just figuring out his other options. Elon Musk is one times person of the year. Congratulations to him. Josh Peck has announced he's going to be in an episode of the new iCarly rebate, uh, you know, revival. Let's see how that works. And this show on Apple, Servant, was renewed for season four for those who watched that. CW is going to announce a show called Gotham Knights, which is going to have to do with Damian Wayne and Batman villains after Batman's dead and blah, 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 blah. And I don't know how that's going to be. They completely skipped over. They're doing Batgirl movie and HBO doing that stuff, but they completely skip over Tim Drake, Nightwing, and any of the Robins before, and they're like, yeah, let's just go straight to Tim Drake, and then Villa Rotorama is producing and starring in a Disney Plus type of program, uh, show or movie for Zorro, okay, if that you want to put your money and star into that, let's see how that goes, like Josh Peck was in this Turner and Hooch stage, so I had to revive that, that got canceled after one year, so I don't know what you're doing there, now one thing I wanted to get to was how certain shows handle different things. So, in 911, Jennifer Love Hewitt left the show, and there was no reason. They never said why. You find out later she's got on maternity leave, so they, so it made sense that she was pregnant when they filmed the past season. But that fact that she's left because of postpartum depression, and then Kenneth Choi is out there looking for her, and they're like, we really can't have him in every single episode because. He would be always wondering what's going on with her. So they said that he's not leaving the show because it would be really dumb. If you're going to have Kenneth Choi leave the show, we would have killed him off when he had a pole through his head one season. When he got stabbed by Jennifer Love Hewitt's, you know, ex-abusive husband, he could have died there. No. So that's good news because I was like, I don't know how you're going to handle just doing that because now they have this new guy, pro, this pro-B character, you know, 
they have a, you know, probational, you know, firefighter officer. He is, you know, taking his spot in terms of the scenes, but, you know, he's doing the firefighting part and to replace, you know, Chimney's thing, that's where you get like, okay, Eddie's doing the medical stuff because he was a medic in the military, so that's fine. And then in the rookie, I get, you know, the whole point of the rookie was Nathan Fallion is the oldest rookie and he's starting off with two people, one he's had a relationship with, but he starts off with with having the fact that he's got Lucy Chen, you know, they're starting off together. Then you got obviously Jackson and we and we've gone through so much character development in the first three seasons of her progression and, and his progression and of course Jackson's where he comes out, he like tells his father, you know, like, hey, I'm not gonna be in internal affairs. He wanted to really make an impact on the training officers because he had a racist training officer and he didn't like how that was going and he's like, I can't really believe these cops are still on the, the force and things like that. And he had a close relationship with Richard G. Jones' character, you know, Sergeant Gray. And it was nice. It was a trio of people. And they have the training officers, and they both, and all of them have been good, you know. Lopez has been good. And, uh, and obviously, Tim has been great. And they've, yeah, they've switched the training officer for, uh, you know, Nolan twice because the other actress left. But in general, it's been a quality show. It's the best show, I think, on the ABC. I like a million little things. I do like The Good Doctor. But, like, this show is about the rookie. He is the rookie, but it's also about the other rookie cops. And he was roommates with, with Chen. And they got all this character development. And his mother's been in the show. And he's had boyfriends here and there. And it's like, I don't care that the guy was gay because guess what? And the show's been very good. And it's and I don't get why. It's like, well... He left the show, so let's let's just continue where he gets shot in the back, and let's just wipe our hands clean of him and never talk about him ever again. Yes, you know, his former training officer, Lopez, named their son after him, but it's just like, I, I don't, you know, get it, man. Like, naming him Jack's name, whatever the point is, it's just like really stupid because... It just moved on quickly, and they added this new guy who's training under Nolan's former training officer who replaced the other one, and he's a horrible actor. His training officer is not the greatest actor either, so we're getting rid of him, and, and people said the reason why he left the show is because maybe because he wants to continue his music career under the name Butterfly Ali, but I still think it's stupid because usually with a the show, they tease it ahead of time. This character's announced they're exiting the show, and they're like, are they writing them off, or are they going to be killed off? That sort of thing. So I, I don't I don't like that. Then the next thing I don't like is that last season Emily Van Camp's character, you know, N N Nurse Nevin, was stabbed while she was present because in that thing it kind of ended like the show was ending because the hospital was being sold and every doctor was going elsewhere and there wasn't really anything and this guy demanded to be seen and he she got stabbed and it's like is she gonna live? Is the is he is the baby gonna live? And they go through all that drama for her to survive and the baby survive to then saying. Leave the show, despite the fact that you know I I've been in a really successful show. So she says, people, she lived doing the show, but you know she explored the idea of leaving the show years ago, and now fellow's trying to focus on her growing family, which includes a baby girl, because that played into her being pregnant in the show, which was a obviously good character progression for her and Conrad. And then she was like, well, being a well, the fact that I'm being a mother and at the work less, doing that many episodes in a different city, and then you got to add COVID to that. She couldn't see the families. Oh, my God. Like, I, I I just don't get it. I know that 
maybe because of the Disney program where he's on the Winter Soldier, you know, you know, new Captain America Falcon show, that that may be filmed somewhere else because I feel the Resident is like filmed in in Atlanta. And because it is filmed like in Atlanta, it may be not good for her because maybe it's easier for her to be in the East Coast or the West Coast. Whatever the case is, she leaves the show because she thought it was time to build her family. But she still has this Marvel show, and that's probably way more exclusive. And as I said, if you want, if she wants to leave the show and you want to kill her off, let her die or maybe let the let and let the baby survive last year. So you have all this time towards the end of last season. To start this season with the time jump, because they go into a time jump like three years into the future, and it's just like, are you kidding me? I don't, I know it would take a long time for Conrad to get over losing his wife, his moral compass, and the whole entire hospital getting over the lead nurse, blah, 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 and how to raise a kid. But unless they're gonna do some flashbacks where it shows him raising the kid and making up his own practice, because we all know that he eventually was gonna come back and work in the thing, because that's what this season is, a time jump, and he's back there. And instead of Dr. Con- Dr. Bell being super popular, you know, AJ, the Raptor, you know, Malcolm John Moore's character, super popular the book, and Kid and Bell are in a relationship, and Devin's taking, like, on the best doctor role that, like, that Conrad had. He and his girlfriend moved in, then they introduced her, her twin sister, which is just stupid, a waste of time, and they, I knew they were going to make uh, Nick Nevin friend who used to work at the hospital a main character because she joined last year when Mina Okafor left so I was like okay cool she's replacing Mina but now it's Doc it's 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 Devin's girlfriend that's really replacing Nick and I don't like that I was like okay and then they're like let's add a new class of residents like the good doctor did for them to do and of course Conrad's back and he's working with those residents along with you know Devin and one of them happens to be you know Nevin you know Nick's best friend who's in charge of like surgery and she's like a brain surgeon replacing more chestnut's character and that's her illegitimate son that she had when she was raped as a, as a high schooler so it's like as a teenager in that he's now a main character and I was like ah great whatever so like I understand if the good doctor had new residents that's one thing but a lot of these things where this huge time jump is stupid because we all know that he was going to come back, and that's what it is. So, the way they handle it is they could have just... This show has been a bubble show. It could have been canceled the last two years in a row, despite being before this whole time jump and Nick being killed off. It's the best medical show on TV. Sorry, Grizz Anatomy, you've had your long course. Good Doctor and New Amsterdam are kind of a little bit going downhill. And as much as I love The Resident, if they were to cancel it this year... Okay. I got. I would feel like I got like five years out of this show, pretty much. I, 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 I would not, you know, be so upset that the resident gets canceled. I'd never see it again because five years is a pretty good amount of time, and that's all I'm gonna say because it's just like about this because that's not bad. Five seasons is pretty good for a show. Most seasons will get one or two. Then the next thing is be positive. So I said, why does Chuck Lorre have to get every show renewed? Because not all of his shows are funny. And this show is like Be Positive and United States of Val. The main two characters I don't find funny or that amazing. I like season one, the dialysis group was funny. And the people in the nursing home, they were pretty funny. But the show was about the two people. One giving the, you know, the, the kidney to the other one because he's in kidney failure. All this other stuff. And that's what the show is supposed to be about. But I was like, it's a little bit morbid. The it took them a full season till the middle of the second season to change the theme song from 
you know, Shakespearean characters ripping out body parts is completely disgusting and stupid to finally changing it so it's a lot better. But it, I was like, yeah, it's really stupid. And that, I didn't think the show deserved to be renewed. I didn't think it was that funny. Like, the dog is one of the best parts. And I said the other people. So, obviously, if Drew no longer, you know, needs dialysis and he doesn't need, and he doesn't, and he's got a kidney, then you say goodbye to the people. And that's probably why in the first season, the... The woman who was in, uh, there's Bridget Haleen, who I know her from Ground Floor, was barely in season one because they're like, eh, we're not going to do this Dialysis thing, so let's not give her a contract. The other thing is the Eli, you know, Eli Russell, the retired football player who's also in Dialysis, who they said they ran out of ideas in the middle of season one, that she was, he was dating Gina into season two, he hasn't been seen really since. He's barely been in this season because, again, not a Dialysis group. Drew and him, I don't know if they're still friends anymore. I'm like, okay, what are they going to do? There, David Anthony Higgins, he was in season one, but not every episode. And so far, he only recently been back to season two because even though his character is in his like late 50s, you know, he's like, I don't need to be in a senior citizen home. Well, you had an accident, you have a medical problem. Well, you're going to be there. That's the only way to get him because I'm not sure half the time when they make these shows that they give these guys one-year deals because the show gets canceled, they're stuck paying them. And if they are, they ask them to be in other shows or they keep recommending for them to be guest star. And I'm just looking at this like, okay, the the ex-wife, not been in season two because they got divorced and she was just like not happy with him. And the daughter's been in somewhat, but again, it's a waste of time. And the gay nurse who was in the house said, I'm like, how are they going to keep him in season two? Well, he's going to be a nurse at the senior citizen's house, uh, you know, place. Okay, cool. And they're going to, of course, because Gina's the main character, her friend Gabby's going to be in there. And they and Linda Lavlin did such a great job in season one because she was one of the funny parts of the show. And everybody's going to know her from her television and stuff. That's where it's like, okay, cool. She was obviously her own role. She was Alice before, she, and she was on Barney Miller. So she's pretty funny. And in season one, I said the senior citizen home at Bernie Coppell, he was really funny. But the way that they did season two was he's killed off. Gina inherits all this money, and she buys the senior citizen home, and the show was no longer about Drew needing a kidney and making friendships and dialysis and being a better father and having an okay relationship with his ex-wife and and actually living his life because he's a pretty much like a homebody, like keeps to himself. And, and I love Thomas Middleditch, Middleditch, but he's not a leading actor, and he's like a, a therapist and all this other stuff, and they barely see him being a therapist. Like It's in Bob Newhart. He's doing therapy sessions pretty much every episode. You don't have to do that on every episode, but it's like barely any episode that he is doing that. So it makes absolutely no sense that now it's about, well, maybe he could be a therapist for the people in the old home, which is why you take the nurse and you bring him over there and you take the dentist who was in the dialysis group and make him a member of the place. That's the thing. And then... In season two, they're like, well, now that Bernie Coppola's character is dead and they're going to be doing a lot of nursing home scenes, we need to reimagine the whole entire show. So what they first do is they keep the woman who's Miss Ludlum, the one who's the administrator there, and they add Hector Lozano and Priscilla Lopez as a married couple. And I'm glad for Hector Lozano. I don't think Last Man Standing should have ended, but he was really good in that show. He's a longtime great actor. So he... He's making the show better because he's playing his typical self, and I like that. And then Jane Seymour, 
is playing a woman who dresses outrageously for her age and makeup and all this other stuff, and she's pretty funny. And Jim Beaver's pretty funny. He's a retired cop who's in the show. And Ben Vereen is a, is playing a funny guy in the show. And then they got D.B. Sweeney. He's always playing a dumb idiot like he did in Two and a Half Men. He's the chef. He's the cook in the, in the, in the nursing home. So they had to redo the whole entire plot just for it to make sense. That's why when you watch the show, the first three episodes when I do a television review, you're like, okay, this is sad. It's horrible writing. The acting is okay, but the supporting cast is way funnier than the two main characters. What am I going to do once it gets a kidney? Well, got a kidney. Let's get rid of the dialysis group and let's make it all about a nursing home. And it's just like, okay. So it's been, it's been funny so far. And I said I've mostly laughed because of the additions of G.B. Sweeney, Jim Beaver, Priscilla Lopez, Ben Vereen, Jane Seymour, Hector Elizondo, and Bernie, and, uh, and, and the fact that Linda Lavalin is still in the show, and the dumb stoner, you know, Gabby, and, you know, David Anthony Higgins, who I like from Malcolm in the Middle, is pretty funny, and of course, Gerald Steven is, is thing. So that's all I'm going to say. It's really, that's why I feel like this show probably, if I was running the number, I'd be like, yeah, this show got to get canceled, man. But thanks for listening to another edition of On the Radar, episode 112. And this may have went a little long, but there was just so much happening in the world of entertainment of people passing away. So rest in peace to everybody, to the athletes, to the musicians, the actors, every single person. But especially, I am going to miss Mike Nesmith. I can't believe that I was not the first section, but I was in the second section. And I could see him right there sitting there and enjoying the fact that my friend made fun of me that I was feeling most of it. But I'm like, yeah, it's never going to be the same, man. The monkeys were something that I wish I my parents took me to when I was a very young kid in the 90s or the early 2000s, something like that. You know, there's certain groups that you're just like, I really wish that I was able to see them and stuff. I'm really sad, though, about Demarius Thomas and other people who passed away who were very, very young. And especially people in baseball who I, I have a huge connection with. For everybody who's been placed on the COVID list, including all the Rams and the Browns and the Bulls and the Nets. I don't know if I'll vaccinate, but everybody's okay. So recipes, everybody who passed away, everybody who's on the COVID list. And uh, On the Radar is the name of the YouTube channel, Baseball Observations Movie Review, the name of the podcast, Apple, Google, or Spotify. Then you also have On the Radar Tame Blog, my Facebook page, On the Radar Media.com is my website, Radar442 is my blogger and my Twitter account. And as always, we talked about local and national sports as well. Thanks for listening to On the Radar with me, your radar. See you guys next time.